morning. As we've gathered together in praise and in acknowledgement of God's grace and God's unfailing love, would you join me for a moment of prayer? Lord, we have come before you this morning with great thanksgiving. We clap our hands and shout your name with joy, as in the Psalms, for you have brought out your people in this rejoicing. We who you have delivered make known what you have done and shout victory as the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Lord, we come before you in gladness to serve you and your people in the name of your son, who is hope, who is the embodiment of love that we are blessed and challenged to share. Help us serve in your kingdom as the sheep of your pasture in all that we do as your instruments using the unique gifts you have given each of us to lift high your name among the nations. God who walks with us, God who sings your creation into being, be with us as we celebrate, as we grieve, as we wonder, as we serve, and as we live every day seeking to embody the evidence of your grace. Your love never fails us. Your faithfulness sustains us for you have not and will never leave your people. There is nothing else on earth or in heaven that can compare to the promise that we have with you. It is in you that we sing, in you that we offer all that we have, in your name that we pray, amen.
if you had ears to hear the number of psalms that have been already quoted this morning uh, in our worship leadership, in the songs that were sung, in Mackenzie's prayer, uh, clearly we are focusing on the treasury that is the psalms, this uh, wonderful reservoir of inspiration that comes to us as an expression of worship. One of the things I've always appreciated about the Psalms and Scripture is that they pull no punches. They give us a glimpse before God of all the ways we can come to God, good days and bad days, filled with joy, enthusiasm, and excitement, as well as abject misery. When we can only shake our fist at the state of things and ask God, why? The Psalms give us an unvarnished and complete picture of human life before God. And today we are remembering as we walk through verbs that matter for us as we come to reflect on who God is, who we are in relationship to God, and how we carry ourselves through this world, today we arrive at the point of worship. A couple of weeks ago we talked about God as being a God of action, a God who creates, who speaks, and who sees. Last week, we talked about God as being a God who forms a relationship with humankind, and indeed, a relationship with the entire world. And God, in creating this relationship, has forged a durable relationship, a covenant that God will remain faithful to. We can remember this as we talk and as we tie the words of Scripture to our lives tying ourselves also to Christ as we write them down, that they might be a legacy not only for us, but shareable with the world. Today we are going to learn, or perhaps remember, that we, in relationship with God, are called together as a worshiping community, that we might come together physically, we might also come together virtually, and remember all that God has done and God shall do, but even more, to bask in the very presence of God who has appointed this time to be a meeting with us. And so we turn again to the hymn book of ancient Israel to read Psalm 100. I invite you to read with me. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. I've chosen three verbs, as not the only three verbs in this psalm, to be sure, but three verbs that remind us of an important aspect of our lives in worship. These are action words that are embodied actions. As we continue to walk through the scripture, we will hear three verbs. Shout serve, and sing. 
It's a reminder that for us, worship is not simply a spiritual interaction with the divine, nor is it a relational action simply in the presence of one another. This is also an embodied action that brings together our life of spirit and our lives in these bodies, in this world that forms us and shapes us for usefulness beyond this time for which we've gathered into life, as I sometimes say, between Sundays. Worship becomes the template for the living of our lives out there. So today, we listen again to that first verb, shout to the Lord. Yesterday, in my Facebook feed, my social media timelines, um, I saw about midday a number of folks who started posting things like app, Appalachian, Appy State, and it was always in capitals, which in internet language is shouting. And so I knew something exciting had happened for app. I needed to check it out. Sure enough, as you probably know, there was a last second Hail Mary that made the win possible against all odds for app. This just might be their year. But that shout was disruptive enough in my life, and I have no stake in how Appalachian does in football season, to pay attention. N.T. Wright, in his book, Simply Good News, talks about this. He said, imagine if you would, someone walking into a cafe or into a bar, and there among these strangers in a wild and loud voice simply shouts, good news! You'll never guess the greatest news you could imagine. What on earth could he be talking about, he asks. What could this good news be? And why does he think it justifies barging into a cafe and telling strangers about it? And so he spins out some scenarios. Perhaps doctors had just told him that they'd managed a cure for his daughter of a disease that was killing her. That'd be really great news, at least for the immediate family and friends, anybody in the know, but it doesn't necessarily explain why he would announce it to strangers. Perhaps, as I said before, the local soccer team won a great victory against their old rivals down the road, and he says in some parts of my country, and certainly in parts of this country, just change the sport, people would indeed celebrate that thing as good news. Though most fans would probably be at the pub watching the replays and the game with him. Why would you break into a crowd of strangers just to announce that? Perhaps, he says, in a region with great unemployment, with high poverty, the people had just learned that there was discovered a huge new trove of natural resources. Suddenly there would be thousands of new jobs. Suddenly there would be a new start for everyone. There are places in this world where certainly that would lead a group of folks to shout news to, every, to everyone. That might justify, in some way, such a dramatic announcement. But we have to ask, in this worship psalm, why we are called to shout. What would we shout about? Shouting is such a disruptive act. If you were raised like I was, shouting would actually be the thing that would earn the quickest correction from your parents or from your teachers, or from your leaders. It's something that shakes up the stillness and the equilibrium that any group, any room, any space enjoys. But that's how the psalm begins. Shout. I think about Jesus' triumphal entry 
on Palm Sunday. And it's one of the great lessons of that story. As Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, Jesus is lifted up. We know, as those who are devoted to him, that he is the great Savior. He's worthy of praise. And in that first entry, people lined the roads. They didn't seem to care what anybody else thought, taking their cloaks and laying them before him, waving palm branches in the air, celebrating his arrival there in Jerusalem. And we know not all of them were deeply committed to Christ. And yet, we've got to admit, they got excited. And even more, Jesus did not rebuke them for that exuberant praise, for that shout. He even encourages it. When the religious leaders see the people shouting to Jesus, they tell Jesus to rebuke them. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, even the very stones would call out, would cry out. Even the very stones would shout. Jesus, the scriptures tells us, is the great Savior worthy of great praise when we're angry sometimes we shout when we're jubilant sometimes we shout above all when we want to be heard we shout i can't tell you and my children probably roll their eyes sometimes when i raise my voice i simply say i don't think i'm being heard and life in this world so often seems that way. The chaos, the din, the noise of living in this world with its troubles, with its difficulties, with its conflicts. It's not that God needs us to shout in order to hear us, but sometimes for us, simply to drown out the noise, we have to raise our voice and call out the one name that can make a difference. Fill our lungs, fill the, our lives, Fill the space around us with the name of the one who saves us. Shout to the Lord. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. When I think about this with respect to worship, I think about the worship service beginning before the announcements begin. And technically, the worship service begins, frankly, after the announcements are over. Be that as it may. What do you do in anticipation of something you know is going to invite you in or deliver something different to you? If you know you're going out for an extravagant dinner, you might even be thinking about it at lunchtime and say, I'll stick with a salad. Or perhaps in anticipation of a race, you're going to change your training schedule. If you know you're going out on a hike, you might spend the day before making sure all your equipment is in great shape and you put it all together in the backpack so that nothing would get in the way of you having a full experience there. If you're not sure how an appointment's going to go, you're going to commit a certain amount of time beforehand so that you can be ready. Anytime something significant is coming our way, we adjust, we anticipate. The service of God begins not with the prelude. The service of God in worship begins in that great amount of wisdom that's found in Ecclesiastes 5.1. Guard your steps, it says, when you go into the house of God. 
Guard your steps. Proceed with reverence. Recognize the dignity of the moment to which God is calling you. When Moses knew that Moses was in the presence of God before a burning bush, he takes off his shoes because he was on holy ground. When we put our minds and our bodies to work in anticipation of this time, as we prepare, as we pray, as we set aside the other distractions that might keep us from fully engaging what it is God might do. And God might say, this is an act of service. And throughout the service, beyond getting ready for this time, getting ready to meet God, it's a time to listen to God. It's a time to remember who we are in relationship to God as created, not creator. As Danny reminded us this morning, beloved and in the image of God, humble yourself in that awareness. But you should also speak up, speak out, respond to God and mean what you say. Take the time seriously. When we gather together in service of God, it is a communal act. I should mention that all of these verbs are what we in the South would call y'all verbs. They're plural verbs. Y'all serve the Lord with gladness. And in some circles, they would call this time together in worship liturgy. That's from a Greek word, not Hebrew. simply means the work of the people, public work, public service. And so it's a choice to come together as one people, to serve God. And Jesus reminds us that as we serve God in this place, as we put our bodies into motion, as we put our mouths and our voices to work, as we, in one way or another, link arms or at least join spirits to humble ourselves lovingly and appreciatively before God, it should also begin to shape our perspective to the outside world. When we leave this place, Jesus' story about the end of things should help us remember that as we serve God here, as we devote ourselves to Jesus, Jesus is the one who told a story where the end of the story reminds us that anytime we do something for someone else who has a need, who's left out, who is isolated. When we choose to see the face and hear the voice and share the need of Jesus in that person, Jesus said, inasmuch as you have done it to any of the least of these, my sisters and my brothers, you have done it to me. The service of God in this place becomes the template for the service of the world in God's name. So we gather together and we celebrate what God has done for us and for the world. And we read you know, from Ephesians chapter 2. It is by grace, we can even shout it, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. But the very next verse tells us that our lives with God don't end with our salvation. 
It only begins, it continues with the good works that God intends, plans for us to do out in the world. The service of God becomes the service of our neighbor. And so humble service in this time isn't necessarily quiet or meek or mousy, but it does tune our hearts, it tunes our spirits, it tunes our lives and our bodies, turning them outward to the world in service of the one who said, if you are going to be first in my reign, you are going to be a servant of all. We do that in the same spirit that gives life to this church, life even in this moment. Serve. Sing. The Apostle Paul in writing to the Colossians, said, Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, we all have mental images of different biblical figures, and Paul seems to me, because he says, he's not much to look at. My hunch is he wasn't a great singer either. I don't know why. Maybe it's because he raised his voice in other places so much it was just a little worn out. We don't know. We actually don't know in reading the scriptures if there were any choirs or any music ministries or special solos or anything else. John Chrysostom, one of the ancient leaders of the church, said it is the ancient custom and still is for all to come together, unitedly to join in singing, young and old, and rich, and poor, male, and female, bond, and free, all to join in one song. All worldly distinctions here cease. The whole congregation forms one general chorus. That's the power of music. And if you've ever been in a congregation, if you've ever been in a choir, you ever been to a concert, you know that mystical feeling of being brought together with a common song to sing. And so even though the New Testament doesn't necessarily tell us about any kind of full-on music ministries, like we've had the grace and the gift to be able to cultivate here at Yates, it also does not indicate that anyone sat in the corner and didn't sing and just sat silently while the rest of the church moved on its merry way. There's no quote in Scripture that I can find that says, you know, I don't really sing that well. I'm just not a singing type of person. I even tried that with Keith. I, I haven't played the alto saxophone in 30 years. He gave me one and said, you have no excuses. But that sort of open door that welcomes us into musical expression of our faith does so many things. Not only does it put our bodies to work, we feel better after breathing in, breathing out, and singing, you know, physically. But even more, what happens to us as we share words that matter? Words that memorably bring together the way of Christ. That express confessions of our faith that we can sing and carry with us. That we can say truly is a gift for someone else that edifies the others around us, that probably more than most places in church life shows us what unit's like 
and helps us hear what it sounds like. The power of music, of course, is also in its ability to express those emotions and those experiences that defy prose. How many of you, as you look back on your life of faith, in some way can chart those critical moments of change or transformation in your life, not to some quote by some historical author, but instead by a word of Scripture that is lyrical, by a song that captures the all of it. Sometimes our prose can't bear the freight. It takes a song. That's why all the way at the end of things, in the book of Revelation, there is so much music in heaven. As the prophet looks into that place that we can't see clearly, and he can only describe in mystical, visionary language, he talks about life in that place where God finally gets what God wants. And it's full of songs. Songs that inspired songwriters on this side of things. Handel's Messiah is full of the book of Revelation. The Alleluia Chorus is drawn from the book of Revelation. The song that the choir sang last week is from the book of Revelation. Hear what the heavenly chorus sounds like. I'm going to set the stage here, Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. This is a visionary picture of Jesus. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. Do we have any harpists in the room? Each one had a harp. They were holding four uh, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory for, and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Heaven is full of singing. It might even be the common language that unites us as we 
incline our lives to the one who has given us access always and forever to the very presence of God. Sing. You all probably remember Tarvik Linder. Uh, he's now an Air Force chaplain, and he's stationed in Korea. Pray for Tarvik. Tarvik was a musician. He played in our orchestra for some time. And across his time at Duke Divinity School, uh, he grew very close to the church. This church ended up having the privilege of ordaining Tarvik to service. And I remember when Tarvik was talking about life in church, he gave me a picture that I'll never forget. He said, you know, when the church gathers for worship, every time it gathers, it should be a dramatization, an enactment of the kingdom, the reign of God. And John, the prophet's given us a mystical picture of what that looks like and what it sounds like when God's people shout, when they serve, and yes, when they sing. How might we respond if we took seriously that vision of this time together, spilling over into our lives out in the world as we shout, as we serve, as we sing, as declaring, enacting, showing forth to a watching world what life is like when God gets what God wants. A glimpse, as small and fleeting as it may be, of heaven. Worship can be that way. If we prepare, and if we respond. And so we respond today opening our hands, practicing our generosity, sharing our offerings as Mary Martha leads us. And you have the opportunity to respond right where you are to what God is calling out of you now. As we are led, as we continue in this service, the service is not over. The service is just beginning. Amen.